what I like about podcasts is that anybody can do it. What I don't like about podcasts is that because anybody, anybody can, can do, do it, it. Yeah. Because yeah. anybody can do it. It's basically a curated version of Twitter. You know, it, everybody's got an opinion sure. and, and if your opinion is well funded enough, you can dress it up like journalism. Like cereal. Like cereal, which is not journalism. It's salacious detail. It is titillation for an audience. It is entertainment at the expense of real people without any solid information. It dresses itself up as reporting, but it is actually not reporting. It is storytelling. And those are two very different things. I'm Don Hall. And I'm David Himmel. And this is the Literate Apecast. The Literate Apecast uses bad words. If you don't like bad words, maybe send and listen to it. <laughs> Six years ago, the Six and a Half Hour Podcast was released by the makers of Serial, which launched as a spinoff of This American Life and became a 2014 phenomenon when Sarah Koenig, a former Baltimore Sun reporter, spent more than a year reinvestigating the 1999 murder of an 18-year-old high school student, Hai Min Lee, excuse me. That was followed by the story of Bo Bergdahl, the U.S. soldier who left his post in Afghanistan in, 20, in 2009, then was captured and held by the Taliban for five years and later charged as a deserter. The third installment of the series, S-Town, hit harder. It followed the story of Mecklemore, or Mecklemore, not the rapper, uh, who had written to This American Life in 2012, asking them to look into an alleged murder in Woodstock, Alabama, which he referred to as Shittown. The story went from true crime to Mecklemore's life, the lives of his family members and his close friend Goodson, and their not quite father and son relationship, which included hanging out at Goodson's tattoo shop, Black Sheep Inc., and building a maze in Mecklemore's backyard. It was in the third episode that Mecklemore's family and Goodson deal with his suicide in June 2015, aged 49. So, what yeah. we're talking about here is the serial podcast S Town. Yeah. As I mentioned, named after Shit Town. Shit Town. Um, Did you listen on- to it? Did you listen did. to it? It came out in 2017. Okay. Yeah. I listened to it when Katie and I were on a road trip through. Yep. Um, Texas and uh, Memphis, uh, just through the South. And, you know, it's a good, it was a good podcast. It's well done. It's great storytelling. My problem with that, I'll, I'll just say real quick, yeah. my, my problem with S-Town was it started off as a true crime because that's what serial is. Right. A true crime. It yeah. started off as a true crime and became effectively a Florida man story. <laughs> yeah okay it stopped me it stopped being a cr- true crime thing somewhere around episode three or four and then just became this tawdry look how fucking crazy and stupid these hillbillies are a little you bit. know it yeah. was you know and it just turned out that macklemore was gay and no one knew it and that came out and i mean you know it was just it was the, it was it went from we're reporting true crime. This is what we do. We've got the first one, first series, and then the second of serial, and it's a true crime thing. And then all of a sudden, it became this kind of let's make fun of the bumpkins 
episode. I mean, they, you know, they did it in the same way that they always did. It's very, they tried to be very empathetic, but the reality is it wasn't true crime anymore. And, and it, it became something completely weird. Well, so this, we're talking about this because there was a story that came out um, a couple days ago. Uh, I found it in The Guardian. The headline is, quote, it's hell being famous, end quote. Second violent death of serial podcast character raises ethics questions. So Tyler Goodson yep. um, was killed by police in Woodstock, Alabama, after public radio mega hit brought fame, but not much else. So. Yeah. And and, and I love that. I read the article that you sent me. And the thing that really, the, the thing that guts me about this, because, you know, and, and I've been saying this for Christ, as long as I think I can remember about how fame and popularity is such an empty thing. And, and, you know, and, and his, he makes the comment that, yeah, he even says in the article, you know, fame is a fame, you know, the fame kind of sucks, but if it'd come with some money, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Well, I guarantee you that, that Ira Glass and Sarah Koenig, they're, they're making plenty of fucking money off of this. They made shit tons of money off of shit town. Yeah. And these poor people, now granted, they signed up for it. So it's not like they didn't, I mean, he called in for it. So it's not like they didn't know what was going on, but the unexpected, it's sort of like winning the lottery. All of a sudden your life is so upended in such a dramatic way. And, and, you know, like actors that want fame or politicians that want fame, they want fame. They're 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 gearing for it they're gearing up for it they're preparing for it these mm-hmm. people in this little town had no fucking idea that this was going to be as big as it was and they probably most of them don't listen listen to npr at all let alone podcasts and then all of a sudden their fucking town is world famous and those people are famous and they're making no money off of it that's kind of well, fucked yeah i mean it's you know this is arguably these these podcasts coming, you know, serial in this American life, they are it's a form of journalism, storytelling. You know, I, I was on this American life. Hang on, hang on. I was on this American life back in 1998. They didn't pay me for it. It's fine. You know, it I, I've benefited from it because it helped me get my first book deal. You know, that was something. Actually, I don't know if it technically helped me. They what, what helped me get that first book deal was a piece that I wrote for magazines. So forget that anyway, but you know, it's brought me some, Oh, you're that David Himmel who did, you know, I've gotten that a couple times. And if you, and for those of you that want to know the full story, go to episode one of the literist literate <laughs> cast entitled, I think it's entitled Ira glass is a twat or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I wonder, you know, what is the point of true crime reporting? It's the, is it is it to help like okay there's an unsolved mystery we're going to report on this and try to get to the bottom of of the mystery. Well, that's 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 yeah, that, that's definitely the yeah. Well, my sister, it's very funny. Um, my sister loves she loves true crime and she, she doesn't live. Yeah, she's a white woman. Yeah, she well no, she's not the liberal white woman that that is sort of typical in that. Um, she's a bit more centrist. Uh, she's incredibly well read. Uh, she's a government teacher in high school. So she, mm-hmm. te- you know, so she, she, she's, she, and, and one of the things that I have to applaud my sister is I'm in Kansas, have been in Kansas for a year and a half. I can count on one hand the people who seem to be curious about anything in the world. 
And my sister is among those. And she <laughs> is really, like, she really reads a lot. She does get a little uh, hung up on conspiracy theories sometimes. Yeah, that's but, fun. but she reads a lot and she loves fucking, I mean, she could watch hours and hours and hours. I, she, didn't, I don't, she doesn't listen to podcasts, but she watches hours and hours of this. And I laughed at her the other day because on, on Max, there's a new show. We've kind of hit the bottom of that barrel, the bottom of the true crime barrel. It's called, ready for what, it, what it's called? Yeah. Naked Crimes. It is literally a, a, a television show, a documentary of crimes, investigating crimes that involve nudity. That's it. What? I, I'm not making this shit up. I haven't watched it yet, but I saw that and I went, oh, well, we've hit rock motherfucking bottom with that shit. That's the lowest of the low. She loves the F true FBI stuff. She loves the documentaries about the, the, the guy that kills his wife and hides her in a fucking shoebox. I mean, she loves all of this stuff. And it's not because it's great journalism. I question when you say this is journalism. I, 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 I don't. I don't think it's journalism. I think it's a different thing. I think it's a different thing for the same reason That's that... I'm wondering, like, is it... Is it just is it journalism or voyeurism? Well, I think it's I think it's a it's a bizarre. This is what I think it is because I've thought about this a lot because my sister loves it so much. Um, I think if you go back to the and I can't even remember what they're called, but the Bill Curtis uh, those investigative reports and you know like like the stuff in the in the like the late eighties and nineties where it was and I'm Bill Curtis uh, and this is this this is the story of and then you had that whole thing where the guy was like to catch a predator and all that fucking nonsense. Yep. Yeah. The thing is, I think it's I think it it dresses itself like journalism, mm -hmm. but unlike journalism, it it does not have the goal. Journalism's goal is to inform. Mm -hmm. And television's well, goal, well, then television's goal is to titillate. And when you, and what, are, when you what is radio's goal? What is the podcast goal? Well, I see that's the thing. There, this is the thing I don't like. What I like about podcasts is that anybody can do it. What I don't like about podcasts is that because anybody, anybody can, can do, do it. it. Yeah, because yeah. anybody can do it. It's basically a curated version of Twitter. You know, it, everybody's got an opinion, sure. and and if your opinion is well funded enough, you can dress it up like journalism. Like cereal. Like cereal, which is not journalism. It's salacious detail. It is titillation for an audience. It is entertainment at the expense of real people without any solid information. It dresses itself up as reporting, but it is actually not reporting. It is storytelling. And those are two very different things. And that's the part of it. Like, I'm all for storytelling. And like, look, I have I have listened to true crime documentaries or true crime podcasts. I have watched true crime documentaries. But maybe a, a while back, I started to feel icky about it. Because unlike something like Fargo, you know, where it's like, this is the true story. That, but it's been like fictionalized and, you know... Right, like fleshed out a little bit more, so it it doesn't feel like such salacious voyeurism. Where, you know, these true crime documentaries. What was the about the Murdaugh family? Yeah, like that was super interesting and fucked up. And I totally watched it with my, you know, drooling because it's like, look at this rich family thing, and they can get away with everything. These fuckers. And what was the one with the um, the guy, <laughs> the guy who admitted 
to murdering his wife while he was taking a piss. Oh, it was like the cyclone or whatever it was called. Or yeah, I, I can't remember. It's the, the, the coyote. I mean, it's all, it's all you know, like, it's all, it, feels, it starts to feel gross because they're well, it, victims. And it starts to feel gross. It's gross from the get go. But how is that different than like watching a documentary about anybody else, anybody else's life? You know, the, it depends on the documentary and who's I making it. About, I guess it's about the murder. You know, like when there are like victims, like dead people, that, that just feels really heavy. And, you know, I made the joke about like, well, your, your, your sister's a, a white woman. Of course she loves true crime. My sister-in-law, God love her, is a true crime fucking fanatic. She goes to love it. crime conferences. Travel wow. They have United conferences? States. Of course they do. Of course they have conferences. Yeah. And I understand, you know, why, what the attraction is for, um, for white women. You know, you look at Lifetime, the television show, the, the uh, television network, you know, it had all the, you know, husband with an ax, you know, like all these stories about women getting beaten, raped and murdered by their husbands and all that shit. And I think it's out of fear because, you know, women are often the recipients of abuse at the hands of their husbands and boyfriends or whatever. And so I think that they relate to it out of fear that it could happen to them. Um, and, and I, where, I where, where I'll expand women on the other side. Don't have to worry about that. I mean, they have to worry about it, but they've got other things to worry about than just here's, here's this. But I have a theory. I have a theory when it comes to <laughs> accurate. You know, yeah, know that the, that's not, I have a theory when it comes to liberal white women and, and where they're coming from. Um, if you, if you, one of the things I've, and I've never thought it was anything but fascinating is that in South Africa, when they turned over apartheid, you know, when they, when they, you know, they, they, you know, they, they got rid of that. One of the things that I thought was most interesting, and you don't hear it very reported a lot. And I actually heard this of all things on a fucking podcast. Um, but there were a number of what we what we'd call today they didn't call them themselves white allies there are white mm-hmm. people in the apartheid government that fought aggressively yeah. to to get more black representation to turn over apartheid to you know like to change the system and when they changed when the system changed those white allies who had been doing everything for years to make sure this got changed they got left in the dust by their allies the black governments got rid of them they were not mm-hmm. thanked for their service. They were not appreciated. They did not benefit from the work they did, and it pissed some of them off. Mm-hmm. And I think liberal white women have been championing the the marginalized, thinking that they were among them. Yeah. And what they're discovering is they're not among them, and their work, their hard work. They're all those sacrifices with avocado toasts. We're not a. <laughs> We're not appreciated. It's not appreciated. And because it's not appreciated, they don't know what to do because they thought they were a part of the victim class as well. But it turns out that they're not a part of the victimized class. And now they tried so hard to help the black women, but the black women don't feel like they owe them anything. Oh, no. Oh, God. So let me look at find how can I be more of a victim? So they're going to find as many true crime where it's a white woman that got killed that they can then say, see, white women are victims. I mean, Here's two white guys talking, you know, shitting. Who gives a fuck? Women. I, you know, I. 
I want to move away from that because I think it's getting us. Away. I'm not going to apologize for being a white man no. with an opinion about I'm, things that you can that you can readily read about. It's not like it's not like I have to be a woman to understand that white women feel are desperate to be victimized so that they can have victim power because there is power in this economy in yes. this world. Being a victim is one of the highest places of power anymore, and that's a fascinating paradox. It's very yes. Orwellian that victimized. You know, it's. Very very Orwellian because it makes no sense at all. But right now, that's where we're at. And white women, not all white women, of course, but a, a, a certain cohort of liberal white women is pissed off because they march, they put the black square in their Instagram, well, and yes. they're not getting thanked for it. They're not benefiting from it, and they don't understand why not. So they're trying to find something to, to justify their angst. Well, let's go back to, to this particular podcast and this story. This, All right. Because S-Town did not involve a white female victim. This was a man. No, but it was a white female and, reporter. Fair enough. And a white female um, and now, producer. And now, yeah. And now, you know, this guy, this is the, uh, where'd it go, where'd it go, where'd it go? Um. You know, so okay, so the reason this is back in the news is Tyler Goodson last week was fatally shot by police in what law enforcement described as a standoff, saying he had brandished a gun at the officers. His death, he was declared brain dead on Tuesday, came eight years after the suicide of his friend, um, John Mecklemore. What's what's you know funny to me about this is the headline. Yeah. Second violent death of serial podcast character raises ethics questions you know and i asked you you know what is it with this this team and we know how i feel about ira glass i got i got no issue with julie snyder who i met you know back in 98 yeah but, they're fine they're fine yeah they're doing it yeah you know this american life fell into issues yeah with ethics with and mike daisy with mike daisy and, and it seems like and nobody's perfect Mistakes happen. Accidents happen. Overlook things get overlooked. I'm, I'm, you know, giving benefit of the doubt, assuming best intentions here. But I can't help feel that this particular cohort of producers, Snyder, Glass, uh, Brian Reed, and Koenig, might be getting a little high on their own farts. Well, of course they are. They're NPR. They're National Public Radio. They are completely. Here's the thing, and I love that. That is a great way of putting it. I think it's you know it, it, it is it is a difficulty that we have, um, and you know you can you can you can use the the strange buzzword of oh it's the elites versus the masses. But all right, let's go with that. The elites, the defining principle of elites is not that they have money or that they have privilege, it's that they look down on everybody else that's not an elite. They think yeah. that they are intellectually superior to the people they're reporting about. Well, I just wondered, you know, how much thought goes in, you know, how much thought goes into the impact 
of what happens after this comes out, how and, this is going to affect the subject. And, and and there should be some sort of, and, and that's we, NPR. We that's that here. The, the thing, that's not Ira Glass's uh, thing. That's NPR's thing. And NPR should have something in place that when they recognize that a story that they have done, that they have made millions of dollars on, when, when they make that, that commitment and they put it because I, you know, those things when I was listening to it, my problem again, I said this before my problem with season with the shit town uh, episodes is that what they they're doing a true crime as soon as they discovered that there was no crime <laughs> and that it's just sort of like uh, a greater tuna of dark <laughs> weirdness, they should have stopped. They should have stopped. They should have fucking stopped there's, there's and a said, story here for what yeah, this is not, this is not a true crime podcast and yeah. this is not that story. They should have stopped, but what they had done is they'd already put money into it and yeah. they, and NPR and those guys decided, let's go ahead and make fun of the yokels. Let's go ahead yeah, and expose their weirdness because this is great radio and it's like no maybe it's great radio but then again so was amos and andy and we don't listen to that yeah. shit anymore a good you know uh antonym to serial would be revealed yeah i agree which which also plays on npr mm -hmm. and you know npr uh i don't think npr produce no it's npr doesn't produce it but they do run it yeah and revealed, they do investigative journalism and each each episode, like, there, and there's been true crime in it. stories there. Sure, yeah. But it, it feels like that is like we're trying to expose something in the hopes of getting a resolution in the way journalism does. Yeah. You know, democracy dies in the darkness, that bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't think Serial does that. No, Serial it, is, it's, it's, it is voyeurism. It, it's not journalism at all, in my opinion. In this particular story in The Guardian, there is a picture of the producers of Serial, of Julie Snyder, Ira Glass, yep. Brian Reed, and uh, Sarah Koenig. And, you know, I wish I didn't think this way, but I, but I do. They just look like the smuggest, smartest motherfuckers oh. that you'll ever meet. I mean, this is like, replace any of them with, you know, the only thing that's missing from this picture is Rachel Maddow. Here's the thing that bothers me the most. Here's the thing that bothers me the most about the pictures, just the pictures. So you have, are in the pictures this, you have a picture of a, a, like a cowboy in his flannel shirt with the sleeves cut off and that's, all that's he's got to. Okay. Yep. And he's looking down at a grave. Okay. So you got that picture. That looks pretty. Okay. It's, it's definitely country, but it's, you know, there's, a, then you have a picture of the four producers sitting mm -hmm. at an oak table. You know, and and smiling at the camera, looking very smug. <laughs> then you have a picture of basically a shed, a shed that is the <laughs> Woodstock. So yeah, it's a heart. It's literally a blue fucking. It looks like a storage facility shed with a parking lot. The Woodstock Community Library, and then underneath that uh, is a picture of um of a huge. Fat belly, obviously, with you, his arm has got tattoos, and on tattooed on his fucking huge, grotesque fat belly is the is the phrase "feed me." Okay, so this is the, you know, and so when you it's contrast when you contrast the picture of the four producers of this podcast with the fat 
feed me belly. There's something about that. The, the contrast of those two photos says everything I need to know about those four yeah. producers. I mean, that's what and I'm so saying. And these pictures were chosen by the guardian. You yes. Know, like, <laughs> a, a UK newspaper. Oh so, yeah. Okay. Fine. But like, let me read, let me just read. This is so fucked up, man. Goodson, you know, he wasn't killed by police uh, because of the radio. No, uh, he, of the podcast. he lost his fucking mind. You know, let's let me just read this part. Goodson tried to cash in on his fame, selling T-shirts with black sheep of S-Town on the back via Facebook. Reality TV opportunities came up, but he turned them down partly because he was in a court case over personal belongings, including two buses and an 18-wheeler trailer on Macklemore's property that had been prevented, that he had been prevented from accessing by his heirs. His life began to unravel. Goodson pleaded guilty to third-degree burglary, third-degree theft of property, and third-degree criminal trespass. He received a suspended 10-year sentence, five years of probation. So my, my question is, you know, he became famous because of this podcast. And what was, to what end, what did Snyder and Koenig expect to happen from this other than they got a shitload of downloads and ratings or that's all they that's all they expected and 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 again the difference between journalism which is to inform and and potentially elicit change well you you call them out like watergate like that stop this shit from you know the the thing about it the thing all right and i understand the concept of activism behind journalism i i don't agree that a journal that journalism should come from an activist place first and foremost, well, or even more, like a, ch- a version of checks and balances. The, 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 yeah. the thing about it is, but the thing about it is, if you, I think that's a perfect example. Actually, is Woodward and Bernstein when it came to Nixon, they've changed their tune. They're different now, but at the yeah. time, they weren't trying to foment change. They were trying to break a story. They weren't saying let's get rid of the president. They never even had it in their mind that this was about getting rid of the president. They didn't. They, they didn't this was this was them following a story yeah. and trying to inform the public of something that had gone on that they thought this is is people need to know this. That's yeah. journalism. That's journalism. Writing a story with the idea that if I write this story so that change will happen is very little different, very, very little in terms of difference from the fucking stand up comedian who made up his Muslim marginalization yeah. for, for, for his, for his fucking stand up special. It's you're making shit up. You are inventing a lens from which then you're going to take the actual information and then you're going to transfer it. That is the difference between journalism. And storytelling, but then again, you've got revealed that you know, like well, but the, the, but the thing is, it's very talented. But reveal is ju- it's really it's, just it's information. Journalism. It's straight yeah. up. We're going to tell you this is the thing that happened. We're going to do our very best, and you can hear them when you listen to reveal. You can hear them really struggling with this is what I think versus this is what is true, and they're really good. What I think, yeah. it, it, and there are, and there are still journalists out there. It's not like there aren't journalists out there, but. They're really good at saying, this is my opinion, so I'm not going to include it. You can hear them struggle with that. And that is a good thing because that's what journalism is. It should not be leading with the lens of personal opinion. It should be, here are the facts on the ground. And we assume, even though you have a giant fat belly with feed me tattooed on it, that you're smart enough to look through all the details and figure it out for yourself. 
you know, if we look at This American Life, which again, you know, Serial is a spinoff from This American Life. This American Life, here's stories of American life. You know, it's what a great title. Yeah. And, you know, some stories are sad. Some have victims, you know, some are uplifting. Some are just kind of like slice of life, you know. So the difference between that kind of storytelling, it just, you know, they're not, they're, they're informing, they're not trying to solve anything. And the serial podcast that is true crime, because it's true crime and you have people's lives who have been completely fucking upended yeah. by horrible, horrible things. That, that feels salacious, but because it's, because it's good storytelling, it feels like, um, what happened? You know, polite, polite liberal voyeurism. You know, oh, I don't not, think there's. It's not no. peeping tom voyeurism. Oh, I see. Smart. I don't think there's anything polite about it. I think. I think because. I think there is. I think that they. I think because 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 Ira Glass is not sitting behind a fucking glory hole jerking himself off does not make it more polite. The fact that he's doing it and making millions of dollars off the backs of other storytellers, and for the most part, none of these storytellers get paid for it, but he does. I, I I think it's uh, I think it's exactly uh, voyeurism and and that's a great that's a great point too is you know when you're the subject of a story should you get paid for it you know do I, I've I've never paid college a, a subject of a story that I was college in. college athletes get paid now finally. Well, that's what I'm saying is doing the work. The bottom line, this, this was, this was my, my stance when it came to WNEP theater, it's going to be my stance and it has been my stance when it comes to literate ape. Um, it's my perspective has always been, this is small. It's personal. If I, as the producer, I'm getting paid, then everybody gets paid. And if, and if I, as the producer am not getting paid, nobody gets fucking paid. That's the deal. But the deal also for us has been in the past when we were making a little bit of money from Literary Ape, we paid the writers. We paid, exactly. If we got paid, they got paid. And you and I often did not get paid. We did often did not take the money. We got the money that was donated or it was, or we put our own money in it and we paid the writers. But the reality is. Pay our storytellers at bug house or yeah yeah and we did we did early on we did early on when we were still paying writers we split the door with them or and then in, did in, we? we did early i remember the first like okay. six months of shows and then when i went to vegas what i ended up doing was uh taking money out of my own pocket and making yeah. it prize money so that at least some people got that's paid but it didn't, prize money, that's right yeah that prize money because it was like i want to be able to pay people something but we're not making in vegas we couldn't make money because yeah. it just there's no market for that we had to do a free show yeah. and so you know so i i threw out i put the cards in there you pick the card if you won the debate and then you got uh you got some money yeah, um that's right you know but 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 my and so my policy has always been if if the production company let's just say that did not just mm-hmm. me the producer you the producer if the production company is making money is making a profit off of whatever it is you're doing then that profit should be evenly distributed in an equitable way among all the people that participate if you're not getting paid. And so in that situation, 
I think this American life is making money hand over fucking fist. And if they can't even just allocate a stipend for the people that are telling the stories that are actually, I know the reporter's getting paid. I know the, the editors are getting paid. I know the sound engineers are getting paid. The only people that are not getting paid is the people who are suddenly thrust into the limelight to tell their story. And sometimes that's fine because they're already sort of savvy for that kind of thing. And they're already doing TikTok and they can leverage. Well, and they can leverage that yeah. opportunity for their game. You're a good example. Okay. Did this American life get you the book deal? No. Did it help your book deal? Yes. You know, somewhat because you knew how to leverage yeah. that a little bit. And, and yeah. you know, but if you're some fucking bumpkin in the middle of Woodstock shit town and 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 you don't know what you suddenly get thrust into this fame and the best idea is is T-shirts on Facebook. You weren't equipped for this. You were not equipped for this kind of thing. And 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 I think it is on NPR to recognize that. Yeah. And to and to you know, I'm not saying they need to. It, it has to be a socialist experiment where okay, well, we fucked up, we destroyed this person's life. Let's give them a lifetime achievement award. But they can help. They, and even if it was just a matter of like, hey, we can see that this shit is fucking you up mentally. Yeah, here's some goddamn therapy. Some. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, more. I would just like to see them be a little more thoughtful about how their actions. I 100% agree. Impact. And now, Warsack of the News. In ending the semester with a bang, <laughs> three UNLV faculty members were killed in the Las Vegas campus shooting. Do you know do you know anything about this guy that did the killing? Apparently he was a he was a prof professor from North Carolina from North Carolina who didn't get hired at UNLV. Well what he did what he did was this is the thing I read about this guy because I thought it was fascinating. This guy was completely while he was in I think it was either North or South Carolina but he was a professor at one of those colleges. He had students. He was this guy that was in the Carolinas who were cufflinks. And hmm. an ascot in class. He fat, he loved Las Vegas. And more importantly, he loved Las Vegas culture. He was really kind of obsessed with Las Vegas. All of his students, all his former students said, yeah, this guy was completely gaga yeah. for Las Vegas. So he finally makes the big move to Las Vegas. And what he discovered when moving to Las Vegas was what I discovered in Las Vegas was that I showed up thinking, Hey man, I've been working in Chicago for NPR. I have, I have, I have managed millennium park. I am, I'm a, I've got the fucking street cred and I got to Vegas and they didn't give a shit. Nah, but, Vegas doesn't care about anything. But, yeah. And so he encountered really what I encountered, which was like, Oh, you mean the fact that I was a professor at a major university means fucking nothing. And he ended up moving yep. to Henderson to this shitty little apartment and he kind of lost his fucking mind and got so yeah. angry and so despondent, which Vegas will do to you that he, he, he kind of snapped, got a gun and decided to go kill some people be, that he felt were responsible for his demise, for his lack and of luck. And apparently these three people that he shot and the fourth one being injured 
Uh, they weren't even on his kill list. No, no. He just wanted to kill somebody. He was angry and, I, and pissed and had access no, I, to a gun. And he, and, he, and he went on to a campus because he could go on to that campus. Again, it's not high. You've been, you've been to that campus. You went to that school. I've been to yeah. that campus even more recently. There's not like high security. It's just a fucking college campus. Yeah. It's a public space. So, yeah, he's not going to go into a, a casino with a gun. Right. Because he's not that smart. I mean, he's not, you know, it, it, it wasn't that kind of calculated. It was just like, I want to kill somebody because I'm so unhappy, which kind of sums up, I think, the pathology of the American psyche today. You don't do things my way. Fuck it. Up. Well, I think it's, I think that's the Hamas thing. You won't give us our land back. So God damn it. We've done everything we can do. We've said everything we can. Let's just kill people. Let's just kill people because, <laughs> because fuck it. If yeah. you're not going to let us do what we want, well, you know, it's the writers in 2020. You won't do, you won't listen to what I've said. You won't agree with me. So let me firebomb the police department. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's just stupid. I'll say this, you know, I, you know, in the ending, in ending the semester with a bang, I mean, there's a little joke there, but there, yeah, it must happen. This, this rattled me, of course. Yeah. Well, this was done. This was, wasn't this close to the anniversary of the Mandalay Bay or was it on the very day? It was close. I think Mandalay Bay happened like in October. Okay. I'm just, uh, what I, what I recall is yeah. I was like, yeah, that, I mean, it, it, but, you it, know, I've got, I've got friends that, yeah, at UNLV. I mean, I, I do too. Jared, yeah. You know, Jared and his, and his wife are, Jared's a professor there. His wife mm-hmm. is a dean. I texted them right when I heard and said, are you guys okay? And in the 18 seconds, it took them both to respond to me. To it made you want to throw up. I was, yeah. And everybody else I knew was okay. Um, but, you know, I went to school there for five years. Yeah. And I was on campus near constantly. Like, this was my home. And, you know, it's... I feel like I was victimized in a way too. Oh Jesus Christ, you liberal white woman. But it did like it, it fucking rattled me. It rattled me so much that the next day I wore the one of maybe three like UNLV shirts that I have in some kind of weird solidarity uh, yeah, to make yeah. me feel better, you know. Your Vegas strong moment, yeah. Yeah. All right. In you know Maybe going to college isn't such a great idea. (laughs) University leaders hammered after congressional hearing on anti-Semitism. I I think they're, you know, I've been talking about this. We've been reading about this. I wrote about this in my Substack uh, just this weekend and the weekend of a foolish attention is if you want to under if you want to understand why university students um, are so pro Hamas uh, or pro Palestinian uh, without much distinction there. Um, all you have to understand is that Hamas has been funded almost exclusively from Qatar, the 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 country, and mm-hmm. amazingly. Um, most of the major universities have received massive donations. Where from? Where from? Um, Qatar? Yeah. So you kind of wonder. True? That is absolutely the truth. That you go to my Substack okay. because they want to indoctrinate. It's not a complex thing. That's it's the same. Thing. It's 
It's the same reason the Chinese want TikTok in every American child's phone. It's this is the game now. So what what does Iran want? Iran, that whole region wants to fuck over it and destroy Israel. So how do they and the and the only reason they can't the only reason they can't just destroy Israel is because the United States is an ally. So if they can turn the United States against Israel, well, fuck. You, you know, it's 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 sort of the the Baron Nemo thing in Civil War. <laughs> yeah. If I if I if I destroy if I make them destroy themselves, then uh, you know that will never go away. It's like yeah, okay, yeah. So the the big thing that just it's just gobsmacking to me is um, apparently, at, you know, during the hearing, during the congressional hearing, New York um, representative Republican, at least Stephanie. And she's nuts, by the way. She's fucking batshit crazy in, in any other oh. simple question. Yeah. And she couldn't get an answer. Is oh. calling for the genocide of Jews. Does that violate the school's code of conduct? And nobody can answer. Yes. Nobody can answer it. Like. Yeah. Well, the the you the the president of UPIN quit. She resigned. So I was just going to say. So, yeah, she resigned. You know, in a de- in the developing story, Penn president, the board of trustees had resigned. You want to know why? She, you want to know why she resigned? Because, because he's gonna, with it, she's elected with, as a president for Hamas. No, because within two hours, one of the uh, a donation of one hundred million dollars to UPIN was rescinded because of her. That's why. There you go. In if you can't lead them, leave them. Kevin McCarthy's leaving Congress at year's end. He was the first California Republican as House Speaker. Oh, Kevin, I yeah, I don't care. Go get you know, go get it, go get a lobbyist job, you motherfucker. Go get a lobbyist job because that's all you're good for. Well, that's what he's because he says. Um, let me find the quote real quick. Um, no matter the odds or personal costs, we did the right thing. McCarthy wrote in a Wall Street Journal op-ed about his time in Congress and retirement. That may seem out of fashion in Washington these days, but delivering results for the American people is still celebrated across the country. It is in this spirit that I decided to depart the House at the end of this year to serve America in new ways. 20 bucks. Oh, there's I, I'm not betting he's that. A lobbyist or, oh, he's going to be a lobbyist or, yeah. or he's going to get, or he's going to be the co-host of Sean Hannity. I, yeah, fuck him. I right. don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Go fuck yourself, yeah. dude. In today's episode of Sesame Street is brought to you by the number five. Earth on verge of five catastrophic climate tipping points, scientists warn. Dude, scientists warned that we were coming up for the sixth extinction event in the history of the planet long time ago. We're This isn't new. It's just surprising. It's, it's sort of like this is sort of like what this is, is I have a house. It's a wooden house. Mm-hmm. And the guy comes over and says, yeah, you might, you might, you might have termites. I mean, if, you know, the last house that was on this lot, a lot of termites just destroyed the house. And I didn't do anything about it. And I said, yeah, well, you know, okay. Yeah. The termites in the future. <laughs> and then about two years later, the guy came over and says, yeah, I think you're going to, I think you might have termites. Yeah. But is it bad? Well, it's not bad right now, but it's going to get bad <laughs> in the future. <laughs> well, now I'm living in a house and the fucking timbers are falling down around my ears. And I'm suddenly shocked 
What a bunch of fucking maroons, man. They've been saying since the dinosaurs died that there was going to be another extinction event. What the fuck do you think this is? In, whoa, here he comes. Watch out, boy. He'll chew you up. Whoa, here he comes. He's an oats eater. Daryl Hall files lawsuit and restraining order against bandmate John Oates. Can I ask a stupid question? And it's please. it's please. Is Daryl Hall the blonde? Daryl Hall is the blonde. Okay, the I, I've never I've never known which one was Hall and which one was those. So now I know. Really? I oh, just dude, never cared. Yes. Well, I just never cared enough. Let's be honest. Do I you so much about what they looked like that when I was five years old, they were my favorite. Ba- I fucking love Hall and Oates. They were my favorite band, and I wanted. A haircut like Hall and Oates, which is to say, a fucking killer mullet. Well, so no, so you wanted a haircut like like Hall, not Oates. Oates did did Oates have a mullet? I thought he had a perm. Well, it was a curly mullet. Uh, You wanted a curly mullet? I mean, I I guess yes. Okay, I wanted my hair to be more like Daryl Hall's. Okay, straight hair than yeah. That's what I'm saying. The point is, I wanted (laughs) because of Hall and my mother refused to get me to well me. your mother is a very wise woman she is now but at the time i can remember don i remember so clearly at five years old just being fucking pissed at her like why won't you let me get my hair the way I so anyway so daryl and yes because the anger of a yeah. five-year-old is of great consequence to no well, one ever all right, so Daryl has uh, yeah, he sued a lawsuit and a restraining order against John. this. You know, it's all right. You know, they were they were you know, so what? They're they're you know, I it's like okay, so so I don't you you seem to be a big fan of Hall and Oates. I'm a big fan. This hurts I'm me. I'm not really a big fan of Hall and Oates. They're fine. I mean, it's 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 sort of like saying fine. it's well, it's fine. It's sort of like somebody saying, "Oh, and Huey Lewis is filing a restraining order against his his drummer." Against the news, like, against the news. I, you know, it's like, I, oh, oh, wow, okay, that's great. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I, I, I okay, that's fine. What? All right. I the mean, guy, I, the I guys from the guys from Oasis file a restraining order against. You know, a barista for misgendering. I don't know. None of it. I don't care. I just made some shit up. I don't know. This this hurt me because because <laughs> I've I've heard that, that Daryl Hall is like a magnificent fucking prick. I've oh, heard like, that about. like Dennis DeYoung. You told those stories before. Oh yeah. Go back so, to our earlier episodes, and you can hear the real life story about what a cunt Dennis DeYoung yeah. is fucking prick i'm just saying this is all for julie brush so she can go back and find <laughs> past episodes of uh of of the ape cast and and hear what we sounded like when we would sit in the same room and drink that was you know yeah i mean here's here's the thing that hurt is and just kind of shows what daryl just so daryl hall says He's my business partner. He's not my creative partner. John and I are brothers, but we are not creative brothers. We are business partners. We made records called Hollow Notes together, but we've always been very separate. And that's a really important thing for me. So it just sounds like, you know. Well, what what happened was Oates decided I'm broke and and I don't, you know, I don't have any allegiance. So let me see if I can sell the rights to some of the songs I wrote. And Hall was like, no, you can't do that because they're hauling Oates. They're not just Oates songs. And, and then they got into a big pissing match, like a couple of fucking ladies. And they're all right, knock yourself out girls. All right, Nancy. <laughs> all right. 
<laughs> your last story this week in this whole thing just keeps getting worse, but we keep fucking scrolling like the stunted lizard brains we are. Elon Musk restores X account of conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. You know, I I, I had a theory. I was thinking about this the other day because I was reading about Musk. I was reading about Twitter. Is it and I was conspiracy reading conspiracy theories. No, well, this this might be a conspiracy theory. I don't know. Um, my gut tells me that if you look at the timeline, Elon Musk was pissed off at Twitter, mm-hmm. and so he said, "I'm just going to fucking buy it." And but then then he tried to back out. Then he was like, "No, I didn't really mean it." And then Twitter said, no, fuck you. You are going to buy it. We're going to sue you if you don't buy it. I think he was so pissed that he had to buy it that the plan was to just tank this fucking thing all along. You make you make me buy it? I'm the richest man on the planet. Fuck you. I'm going to buy it, and I'm going to fucking destroy it. What the fuck are you going to do about it? Yeah, make me buy something I don't want? All right, fine. I'm going to buy that goddamn Toyota Camry, and I'm going to fucking run it into the goddamn trees every chance I get. That's what I think has happened. of the week to ponder as you consider life's most pressing sources. All right, my quote of the week. It is a French proverb. Um, Ooh, a lot. A lot. Oh. Adversity makes men. Good fortune makes monsters. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. I I mean, I could argue, but oh, I, I, there you go. I love that. The good fortune doesn't exclusively make monsters. No, I no, and I, I yeah. Fortune makes monster making a whole lot easier. Yeah, well, and, and that thing, and I would oh, also, I would also, I would also argue that adversity doesn't necessarily make men. Um, uh, looking at the the story in the Guardian, you know, I mean, they, <laughs> they yeah. lost their shit. That adversity and it destroyed them. Okay, yeah. So it, it, it's not that you know what it, you know whatever what is it whatever. What's the the the, the it makes you stronger whatever. Whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, tell me makes me stronger. Yeah, whatever it is, you know, uh, is that Nietzsche? I don't know who the fuck it is. It's a, it's a French proverb, anyway. Um, yeah, sure. Um, but no, the thing is, I don't think it's that adversity always makes men, or good fortune always makes monsters. I think adversity, and I think you know, everybody is who they are. There, everybody has an intrinsic character, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I think is fun about watching. A lot of these uh, sort of like survivor-like shows or Squid Game, the challenge, that kind of stuff, is that when you put people under pressure, who they really are, like who who they are at their core, becomes mm-hmm. becomes obvious, right? And I think good fortune, um, good fortune really makes that possibility that if you're kind of a piece of shit, if you kind of don't really look at people with any kind of sense of empathy on an individual basis, if you kind of are a monster already, good fortune just makes it way easier to be one. Adversity, on the other hand, 
if if you are someone that is if, if effectively not that anybody's a good person but uh you're effectively you're always trying to be better you're curious about the world you're trying to reflect on your own behavior adversity will force you to come to grips with that so yeah i do think there's truth to uh hardship you know so, and, and it's and like i said i've said this before there is a difference between pain and suffering pain yeah. pain is inevitable Suffering is a choice. Um, and I think adversity gives you those opportunities to define whether or not you choose to endure the pain and grow from it or simply choose suffering and, and want to be like a, a liberal white woman and say, please, please, please recognize me as a victim too. Cause I tried and I, you know, I mean, come on, you know, I, I, I didn't stand for the flag. I didn't stand for the national anthem. Why can't you treat me like... <laughs> there are six things you should do this week. My first thing this week is a read. It's an NPR, and it doesn't feel salacious to me. But time will tell, I suppose. Uh, the headline here, uh, it's by Rachel Martin. Rick Rubin on taking communion with Johnny Cash and why goals can hurt creativity. So Rick's got a new book out. Um, Rick Rubin, the famous music producer. Um, he's got a new book uh, called The Creative Act, A Way of Being. He was he was interviewed by Barry Weiss about this book. It's a great yep. interview. So yeah, yep. no, I, I want to read this. Yeah. This is a story. Uh, is this a, a radio story? It's, or a... it's an interview. It's an interview on NPR. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, side note to this uh, or bonus, read Rick's book. Yeah. Yeah. I would highly recommend. I haven't read it, but I, it's on my Christmas list. Mm-hmm. My first thing is on Showtime. I've been, like I said, I've been slowly rolling out things that I think might be interesting knowing that soon the only thing that's going to be left is naked crimes um, is uh, and so my mine is it's uh, it's very rare to see Zoe Saldana without makeup on like, she, like she's actually a black woman and not a green woman or a blue woman or you know um, she is a black woman in this it is called lioness special ops it is Taylor Sheridan and Taylor Sheridan, who is the guy that wrote Yellowstone in 1883. And I think he, and uh, what is it? Tulsa King. I think the guy is just sort of a, 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 almost a fucking savant. He's like an alien with a brain for writing great dialogue. And, and, mm-hmm. and this is basically about, uh, and it's true. I looked it up. There is a lioness. The CIA has had a lioness program um, where it was basically uh, taking women and embedding them into terrorist cells because as a way as a way to kind of massage that and mostly to help get women that are stuck in those situations out well it grew in this it is it, it is it it's a great story it's basically about Zoe Saldana is the leader of the team Nicole Kidman's in it Morgan Freeman's in it it's a it's a i think it's a a, a really good show i enjoyed it my next thing is also read in the Atlantic, a new magazine that is taking the world by storm. Um, this is by Yari Rose, or Yar Rosenberg, how to be anti-Semitic and get away with it. Mm. And it discusses like the clever ways that people 
you know, dog whistling and things like that. It's, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Um, I, as you read it, I do recommend you, dear listener, um, don't use it to be anti-Semitic. Yeah, yeah. This well, is not a, this is not an instruction. See, it's interesting that you say that because my second thing is is weird, and I just want to preface it by saying, um, no, I did not fall into the red pill rabbit hole. Oh God! Um, but I'm a big fan of both Glenn Lowry and 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 John. Oh shit! What's his name? Wick. No, yeah, okay, sure. Um, you know, but they do. Uh, Glenn Rowley, Glowry is the he's a conservative black econ, economic economic professor, but he's got a lot of really good things to say. I, I, I don't agree with everything I say, but he's he's very interesting. And on his podcast, he recommended. And I'm not saying you should watch this for edification or to learn things. I'm not saying that you're talking about journalism versus storytelling, that kind of thing. But it is fascinating to watch. It is on Rumble of all things. It is from Alpha News, which is like this this fuck? this just mouth wateringly right wing pro cop uh, news organization. But it is called the Fall of Minneapolis. And this, the thing that I found interesting is that this is basically this particular right wing. It's a propaganda piece, no question about it. To say, guess what? We got the actual uh like body cam footage of the officers that were there and present at the George Floyd murder mm. and now we're going to watch it and there's a lot of this documentary that makes me uncomfortable and I'm like these guys are fucking nuts it is a lot of perspective of the actual police officers that were there when the riots came out and how that kind of played out, which was kind of interesting. But what was really fascinating to me, and, and the thing is this, you know, I, I kind of did a little, once I watched it, I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm glad I watched it because it's nice to see what the other side is trying to say, you know, it's that, that the whole diet, you know, that whole art of the dialectic. I want to, I'm going to kind of understand it. But one of the things I thought was really interesting was they showed uh body cam footage of an arrest of George Floyd a year before. Okay. And one of the things that, you know, cause one of the big, Oh, Derek Chauvin didn't kill him. Here's the thing. Yeah, he did. There's no question about it. There's yeah. not, it, it, I mean, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter what, underlying conditions or problems that George Floyd was having, the guy stuck his fucking foot on his goddamn, his knee on his neck for nine minutes. Yeah. Actually, it was eight, then some change, whatever. But what's fascinating is, and, and, and I'm just like, wow, that's fucking nuts, is that in the original autopsy, George Floyd had massive amounts of fentanyl and meth methamphetamine in his system. Um, In the 2019 body cam footage of a completely different arrest, He's caught in a car, doesn't want to get out of the car, and gets caught eating the drugs he had on him so he wouldn't be caught with the drugs. Mm. And in the body cam footage of George Floyd being arrested initially by those officers in 2020, he has he is seen with like white drugs in his mouth. They found fentanyl and methamphetamine on the floor of the cop car with his saliva on it and one of the things i didn't know and i did look this up is that he was saying i can't breathe it's like you know he's got the knee on his neck i can't breathe i can't breathe he was saying i can't breathe 
when no one was even touching him. And I looked it up because they had a doctor on as I said, all right, I'm, let me see if he's full of shit. But that is that that is actually it's called wooden chest. And it is actually a it is actually a symptom of an overdose is that suddenly your chest becomes very heavy and you and you can't breathe. So there is the argument. It's not to say that Derek Chauvin did not kill him, but there is the argument to say that George Floyd really did pretty much die of an overdose exacerbated by a knee on his neck. And that's interesting to me because that's not something that was reported at all. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, it, 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 it just, what it boils down to is what we see. We can't, at this point, it doesn't even mean that AI and fake news and, 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 you know, the deep fakes at this point, it's everything you were talking about NPR. Everything is not journalism. Nothing is journalism anymore that you consider journalism. It is, it is, is narrated. It is a story that is told through a lens of an outcome we're looking for. And that, is bad. Yeah. So I yeah. recommend the thing about it is I recommend anybody that's got the stomach for it. And it's yeah. dude, dude, I had to stop it like five times and walk away because it was, it's, it's pretty hard to take. Cause it is real. It's like watching Tucker Carlson for five minutes, which yeah. is just, it's just like taking a, a scrub brush and rubbing your nuts until they bleed. But yeah. it's worth watching because there is enough thing in there's enough truth that if you can discern it and and kind of evaluate it beyond the most ridiculous claims it does put the question it, it makes you understand why they made the documentary because they actually do have some things that are are worth looking at that nobody wants to look at so it's pretty yeah. interesting all right my last thing this week <laughs> is a watch a little more lighthearted thank god uh it's on max it is called Little Richard, I Am Everything. That's brilliant. This it's brilliant. I just, uh, it's so good. And I, it made me cry a couple times. Um, I mean, we've discussed on this podcast, my affection yeah. for Little Richard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's a really great, uh, really, really great documentary. I was going to recommend watching Dial of Destiny, the Indiana Jones Dial of Destiny. Only because it wasn't terrible, but it's really important to watch because it does wash out the kingdom of the crystal fuck or whatever the shit it is. Yeah, the skull thingy, the skully, come. the yeah. a- alien skull. Yeah, um, bong. That was pure garbage. But anyway, no, Little Richard, I'm everything on Max. It's and it's- and interesting on a much also on a much lighter note. Um, also on Max, also a documentary. Uh, my third thing is Albert Brooks defending my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it is he and Rob Reiner who have been friends since high school going over Albert Brooks career. And it is, this guy was doing Andy Kaufman shit before Andy Kaufman was fucking born. <laughs> I mean, shit, man. I didn't even realize some of his standup, how fucking outside of the box that shit was. But uh, he was, he was a genius and, you know, it still is, but and some of my, some of his, you know, I, I immediately watched that, and then I immediately rented Real Life, which is his first movie. Uh, that <laughs> that, and it, and the thing that's amazing is that movie is, you know, we're talking about news, we're talking about the invasiveness of podcasts into real lives. Real life is exactly a predictor of everything we're talking about made in the seventies. It's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. So I, I yeah, so. 
Albert Brooks defending my life and Little Richard on Max. And if you've got the nuts for it, Ugh. yeah, okay. I don't think I do. I don't. Think yeah, I do. yeah. I don't know many people will, but I was just like, all right, I'm gonna. I don't do this very often. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dive in and see if there's any merit to this experience. And it turns out there was some merit, but it was. I don't know if it was worth the was fucking worth the, the juice worth the squeeze. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's a good way of putting it. All right. That's the show. That's it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Rock on. You can listen to the Literate Ape Cast on literateape.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you go to get that delicious podcast experience. If you enjoy the dulcet sounds of two white guys babbling about whatever comes into their stunted brains, leave us a review anywhere that, you know, reviews are left. And share it with someone whom which you have a dubious relationship. For information about Literate Ape, Go to literateape.com, of course, and check out the rest of our podcasts and our years of scribbling. Music on the Apecast is courtesy of Mike Vinopal and Local Motive. You can find them all over Chicago and online at locomotiveband.com. Yeah.